we know almost nothing about her. We don't even know her name. But we do know a part of her story. And in that small part, we know what matters most to her and to us. God had commanded his people to care for widows when their husbands died. But God's people don't always listen to his commands. And so when her husband died, she had nothing. But she was there that day in Jerusalem at the temple. She came, she came seeking God, clutching her two small copper coins. It was all she had. I wonder if anyone even noticed she was there. Jesus was there that day too. And he was watching people throw their offerings into the temple treasury. History tells us there were 13 shofar chests, 13 boxes that stood around the court of the women, each box with something shaped like a a, a trumpet coming out of the top of the box. The bell part of that trumpet designed to gather the coins before dropping it into the box below. Kind of like those those big boxes in the mall where you watch your, your coins spin around and around in that big circle before it disappears into the box. Each shofar chest, each trumpet chest was probably labeled for different kinds of offerings. And Jesus was there watching, watching people throw their money into the chests. And he saw the rich throw in large amounts. No doubt those coins clanging loudly in the bell of the trumpet chests. Clang, can you hear it? But it wasn't until that poor widow gave her two small coins that Jesus was impressed. The Bible says, while the rich threw their coins into those trumpet boxes, the poor widow simply put hers there. Did they even make a sound? Two tiny clinks that no one noticed in the midst of all the clanging going around on those 13 boxes. But Jesus noticed I wonder what she was feeling that day. Did she, approach, did she approach that shofar chest with hope, with joy in her heart, mixed with sadness? Had she lost her house that was common, as was common when your husband died? Did she hang back a bit watching The rich throwing in their clanging offerings, waiting for a break in the crowd so so no one would notice, so so people wouldn't look. And then quietly when the coast was clear, uh, 
putting her two coins in so no one would see her. And then two tiny clinks no one would even hear or see or notice. But the great rabbi did, and oh, did he. Jesus noticed, and he got so excited that he called his disciples over, kind of like a teacher on a field trip, wondering where in the world his students went. Where are they? And it's surprising that those disciples are not already there at his side. They're assigned spot always, looking at whatever their rabbi was looking at, doing whatever he was doing. But Jesus has to call them over. Guys, guys, Peter, John, where's Bartholomew at? Well, go get him. Hurry. Come see. Come see. Look. Look at that woman right there. Right there. You see her? She put her only two widow's mites into the temple treasury. And maybe the great teacher saw that his young followers were something less than impressed, giving them one of those, yeah, okay, nods, and struggling to share his excitement. So he explains, earnestly wanting them to feel the lesson. This was so important. Don't miss it. Yes, the rich put in a lot more money but they have a lot more. But she, she gave all she had, all she had. And so she put in more than anyone. Oh, man, can you believe it? And another valuable lesson that day that Jesus gave his disciples and another valuable lesson for us today, too, What is that valuable lesson, actually? Is it we should give to God all the money we have? Now, there's an uncomfortable question, isn't it? (laughs) Should we? The immediate context of both Mark 12 and Luke 21, where we find this story of the widow's two coins, the context is enlightening, as it always is. Both Mark and Luke tell the story immediately after Jesus warns the people about the teachers of the law who liked to make a show of their faith, who liked to be honored given their positions. Jesus then says of them, they devour widows' houses and for show make lengthy prayers. Such men will be punished most severely. And then the story of the poor widow and her amazing offering, despite in context being devoured by those in power. And in Mark, Mark includes in the same chapter, go figure, Mark includes in the same chapter Jesus' teaching on the greatest commandment, Shema, love God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your might and love your neighbor as yourself and then holds up this poor oppressed widow as someone who does. 
Given that context, Jesus contrasting the rich and powerful with this poor widow. Both the rich and the poor widow give, but what sets the widow apart, what sets her apart is her heart. The rich give, but give while devouring the poor. Their heart isn't in the right place. The rich give, but give out of their abundance, meaning it really doesn't affect them much, if at all, because they have so much, implying, I think, that much of their heart at least remains with whatever else they are doing with their money. And so their heart isn't in the right place. But the oppressed widow, well, there can be no mistake. She gives All she has, and so we know beyond any doubt where her heart lies. And in Mark's context of Shema, that greatest commandment, she's giving to God with all her heart, and she's literally giving all her monetary might at least, as little as it is. All your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your might. Hey, guys, come here and look. She gave all she had. One lesson, at least, from this story and these chapters in Mark and Luke is this. God doesn't care about the money. He cares about the giver's heart. And that's what impressed Jesus that day. The heart of this poor widow as illustrated by her giving all she had. Look at her heart, guys. Look at her trusting God with all her might. Oh! People sometimes ask me about money. How much do you think I should give, Pastor? Or even in light of this story that they've read or heard, should I give all my money to God just like the poor widow did? My response is usually something like this. I try, I try more and more to respond to questions with questions because I want to be more like Jesus who does this all the time because it invites people to think and to wrestle and respond themselves with the answer. And so my response to those how much questions, if you ask me, may well be, well, how's your heart I get a lot of blank stares with some of my questions. So I follow up. I have follow-up questions, and so maybe I then say, what I mean is, regardless of how much, regardless of how much money God has given you to manage, regardless how much you're planning on giving, how's your heart? Are you trusting in God, relying on him? Has money or material possessions become an idol in your life when you weren't looking, do you think? Is it threatening to become one? Do you trust in Wells Fargo more than you trust in God? Has your money insulated you from knowing how badly it is that we need the Lord? And if it has or is, or you're wondering if it has, then how much would you need to give before you were sure that God is a priority over money in your life? How much? 
How much would you need to give where it would put you in a financial place at least where you had to trust in God to provide for you? How much of your stuff would you need to get rid of before you knew that your true heart was for God and others rather than for you and your own stuff? How much? That's how much you should give. Some people tell me, well, I think God you know, wants me to give what he puts on my heart to give. Interesting answer and a hard one to refute because it's true. God indeed places things on our hearts. But oh, be careful of how you feel about things being your only test at least on how to live because if something is an idol in your life, it's going to mess up your discernment and your feelings big time. In the case of money, if it's an idol you wrestle with in your life, you're not going to feel like giving much, if any of it, away. You'll be reluctant to part with it. And I know, I know this to be true because money is an idol that I wrestle with all the time. How about you? Others say, well... I've decided, you know, I, I don't give of my money. I give something even more valuable than money. I give my time, and, and I help people. And my response to that is, oh, praise God for you. Really, praise God. Keep doing those things, won't you? But you should also give of your money. It's not an either-or that God has designed for us. It's both. It's all we are and have. One terrible misunderstanding we might be tempted to take away from the story of the widow and her two coins is that, you know, God doesn't love us as much or isn't as pleased with us until we give everything we have. That's simply not true. That conclusion belongs under the headings works-based righteousness or legalism, and it's wrong. God completely, deeply loved that widow just as much before her gift as after. Jesus calls his disciples over because she did something that delighted him, something he could show his disciples and us to, to teach them more about the greatest commandment. But it doesn't mean he wasn't delighted with her every bit as much before she put those two tiny coins in that bell. She just did something right there in front of him he thought was awesome. So he said, hey, there, look, come and see. See, the truth of the matter is, is that God loves us unconditionally. He just does. He loves his people. He's delighted with them. He wants to spend as much, he wants to spend all his time with us. He wants us to spend all our time with him. He sees each and every one of us as he sees his own son because of what Jesus gave on that cross. His sacrificial gift becomes our sacrificial gift. God is delighted with you and loves you as much as he loves his own son. And out of that kind of just-because love, he gives us guidelines that he knows are best for us. And since he made us, he ought to know what's best for us. 
The prophet Isaiah puts it this way. He tells us what God says about this. This is what the Lord says. Your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, I am the Lord your God who teaches you what is best for you, who directs you in the way you should go. Oh, the tender language in that verse. Redeemer, because of love. The the Holy One who nevertheless out of love gives us his intimate name, I am, as our God. And out of this intimate love, he teaches us what's best for us, shows us the way we should go for our own benefit and best interest, just like we try to do with our kids, moms and dads. So does our Father in heaven. Oh, do you know that this morning? Brothers and sisters, how much God loves you, how badly he wants what's best for you. You see, if we doubt that, then the devil will do his best to cause us to doubt it. We'll talk about that in the James series coming more. If we doubt that, when we do, oh, do we struggle when we don't need to struggle? In terms of giving, if we sometimes balk at giving, my guess is it's a symptom of something much deeper. My guess is is if we balk at giving, we're probably doubting his love and and his knowing what's best for us. But if we know his love is complete and unconditional and relentless, and if we trust he knows what's best for us, We can't help but listen to him and give back to him all he's given us, including our money. We trust his guidelines for us are given out of love and are given because he knows what's best for us. And you know, interesting thing about the widow's mite story, even though that day the widow gave all the money she had, that's not exactly what God asked of her specifically. Oh, he was delighted she did that, but that's not what he had asked of her. His guideline for financial giving, his guideline for giving that God gives us because he loves us and knows what's best for us is at least 10%. In church speak, a tithe. There's a churchy word, right? Tithe. It's just fancy for 10%. You see, God knows. God knows we need money for the necessities of life. He knows. So he generously says, go ahead, use up to 90% of what I give you through your work. Use up to 90% for living. And Wow, that's really generous since it all belongs to him, isn't it? Now to be sure that 90% must still be used in a way that honors God as does everything we do in a way that loves God and loves others. But he only asks at least 10% directly to him. That's reasonable, isn't it? You see, God knows. He knows us well. And he knows that if we don't give of our money, the risk that it becomes an idol, the risk that it steals at least a portion of our heart is very, very great. And so out of his love for our well-being, God says, please, here's what's best for you. Give at least 10% away. Give it away. 
Give it to me for your sake because I love you and I know this is best for you. Trust me, it's best for you this way. It will help you guard your heart. In my opinion, and opinions vary on this, but I'm your pastor, at least for this morning, (laughs) so I'll share my opinion, and you can take it or leave it. But in my opinion, the law on tithing is similar to the law on keeping the Sabbath, for example. You remember the story where Jesus says that People are not made for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath is made for people. I believe it's exactly the same with God's law on tithing. People are not made for tithing. Tithing is made for people. And so like with the Sabbath, when the disciples worked to prepare food to eat, that was okay with Jesus. Because there was a greater need, the need to eat. So the rule against work on the Sabbath gave way for a greater rule, really, God's loving desire that we have food to eat. So using the same principle with tithing, if there's a greater need, like a need to eat, the rule on tithing, in my opinion, gives way, just like the rule of no work on the Sabbath. There is, and there always was, from the beginning, grace and understanding and love and empathy in God's loving guide that we call the law, including that tithing rule. When all of it is properly interpreted through Jesus' summary of all the rules, love God and love others, and love your neighbor as yourself. And so our responsibility then, together with God, is to weigh what constitutes that kind of need that that supersedes the tithing rule. Certainly not going hungry. I would suggest things like shelter and clothes also constitute such needs. And season tickets to the Broncos? Well, maybe season tickets to the Steelers. But you get the idea, we before God and with God should wrestle with and determine what we need. We shouldn't take his knows us best tithing guideline lightly because he gives it out of love for what he knows is best for us. And you know, if season tickets to the Broncos or the Steelers is a way that God has called you and has asked you to love God and love others, truly, as God is your witness, then I'd say the tithing rule gives way. If. I'm not going to pass judgment and come up with a list on what does or does not qualify as such a need. I think that's impossible to do across the board. I believe that that's between you and your God and that the answer can and does vary in God's graciousness from person to person depending on well, on all sorts of things that are particular to you and who you are and where you are and all sorts of things. But we should, each of us, weigh those things carefully and honestly before the Lord, weigh everything we spend our money on before setting aside lightly 
the tithing guideline that he gives us for our benefit because he loves us and wants what's best for us. And so it may be that given such needs at the moment to wade sincerely before the Lord, we can't give 10%. So then what? Well, the question then becomes, what can you give given your circumstances? And again, not any old circumstances, but circumstances that are needs that you have before God to love him and to love others. What can you give under your circumstances? 8%, 5%, 2%, the national average among Christians in the United States? And maybe God has blessed you with abundance, like the rich in our story this morning who gave out of their wealth, out of their abundance, other translations say. What if you have an abundance? And again, there's a word that defies sharp definition across the board. I believe it varies from person to person, just like what constitutes a need. So help us before God. But here's, here's a general test, at least, for What is giving out of abundance, using again God's guideline of 10%? If you can easily give 10%, not even notice it's gone. If giving 10% doesn't make you feel at least a little more dependent on God, there's that heart thing again, well then 10% probably isn't going to help protect your heart as much as God designed, in my opinion. How much we give needs to make us more reliant on God than on our wealth. Or our heart will be tempted to trust in money more than we trust in God. Jesus once said this about money specifically, and it's the only thing he says this about, given all the temptations out there. He says this about money specifically. He says, you can't trust in both. You can't love both. One love will give away. Money is that tempting. Loving money cannot coexist with loving God, Jesus warns us. And so in light of that, God says, let me help you with that. Give at least 10% away. Give until you feel it sacrificially so your heart is more likely, so your heart needs to turn to me, he says, in love. God doesn't care about the money. He cares about the giver's heart because he loves us and he knows what's best for us. If you're on our mailing list, then you received this harvest card in the mail this past week. It's in the bulletins this morning in case you didn't get one. Go ahead, take this card out, won't you please? It's our application. It's our walk-away action point from the sermon this morning. It's something new we're trying. We've never done this before. But what we're asking you to share with us, we're asking you to share with us your financial giving plans for the remainder of the year. It helps us with our planning, but well beyond that, the reason I'm excited for us to consider spending time, each of us, with this card, with our families, and boy, include your kids. The reason I'm excited about it Because I believe it will help us guard our hearts from becoming like the rich and powerful in Mark 12 and Luke 21 who devour widows' houses. It'll help guard our hearts 
It'll help guard our hearts from being those who just are in it for enjoying the honor and the show of being believer or who fall prey to having money become the place of trust rather than God. Spending time with this card together as a family or individual if you're on your own, together with the Lord at least, will help us. Will help us become more like the poor widow in heart. Someone willing to give literally all she had if that's indeed what he asks of us. Since I knew that I was going to be inviting you to do this today, this past week, Jill and I spent our Wednesday together going over the family budget. My day off each week is Wednesday. Jill and I set that day aside to be together. It's our Sabbath day together, really, since uh, I work weekends. So this past Wednesday, we spent the day redoing the family budget as husband and wife. Oh, yippee. It went really well. We only fought like eight times. Neither of us threw anything, and, and we're still friends. Actually, we hadn't done that together in a long, long time. And it was about time. And actually, as tough as it was, it really was a huge blessing to our marriage and I think, therefore, to God. But here's what we did, and I'm going to suggest you all do something similar. You know, I really do try and uh, do everything I tell you to do because otherwise that would just be lame. It's short for hypocritical. (laughs) So, first we took our yearly income before taxes. Before taxes, God asks us to give him our first fruits, not our fruits after Caesar eats his. So we took our yearly income before taxes, divided by 10, put that 10% down on the very first line of our budget that we're calling God. And by God, uh, we mean West Bowles. When we give elsewhere, that's over and above the 10%. And I know and I respect a difference of opinion on that one too. Don't have time to get into all of that this morning. Does the tithe just go to our church or can we spread it around as we see fit? Maybe we can talk about that sometime if you like, but for us, for us that means our church because we believe it's very, very important to invest deeply in the life of our church. I hope you do too. Like the poor widow did at the temple. And so after that number was down, then we started putting everything else down to see if we could make that work. So help us God. So that's your first step. Add up what you make each year before taxes, put down 10% for God, and then try to make the rest of it work. Step two, if you simply cannot make your budget balance with 10%, see step one. No, I'm kidding. George got the joke. So you talk about money, it's like, mm. you feel that in the room this morning? You know, maybe it wasn't just because Ryan's jokes were lame. (laughs) Money is powerful. Don't take lightly 
that that's the only thing that Jesus singles out in telling us we can't love both. I think that discomfort, if you're feeling it, is a sign of the truth of that. Step two, if you can't make it work, please try again. God gives this guideline, and it's not to be discarded lightly, as we talked about early. So try again. Try and find a way. Pray about it. Wrestle with it for a while. Take some time with it before the Lord. God will honor this effort. Ask him to help you make it balanced with that 10% number there. And then if you still can't, because of those needs, honestly, before the Lord, those needs that you need and feel called to be able to love God and love others, then determine what's the most you can do. And my advice to you, because I love you guys, my best advice for you, because I want what's best for you too, is to make sure that number's a challenge for you, no matter what it is. Make sure it causes you to look to God to make it work, whatever that number is. Find that number before God. Step three, if 10% works easily for you, raise that number until you feel it. Until it causes you to look to God to make it work in light of everything else in your budget, like we talked about. Find that number before God, and you never know. It may be 11%, it may be 20 it may be 50 or even everything as it was for that poor widow. Next, if you look on your card on the left side, decide what you'll give to your church. For most of you here, that's at West Bowles. If you're visiting today, you can give us money too, <laughs> if you want. But seriously, wherever your home church is, decide what you will give to your church. If you look on the left side of the card, then you see it... Um, broken down, if you like, between tithing and any year-end gift you'd like to give. Maybe you put your whole number down on one line or the other, but you know, if you choose to go the one-line route, I would make it the tithing line because there's something very valuable about regular, repeated giving. Helps our heart to remember on a regular basis, as the Lord's Prayer puts it, our need for daily bread when we give regularly. And then if you want to or need to do something more, you can put something down for a year-end gift, something over and above your regular repeated giving. Then you sign the card on the bottom on the left, and you keep that signed portion for yourself. This is between you and God, something you and God are partnering in. So keep the signed portion for yourself. Then put those same numbers you used on the left side of the card and the blanks on the right, Tear off that right portion and hand that portion only into the church. You should know I fought really, really hard in the elders meeting to have you sign the right side of the card too so we could sue you if you didn't give the money you promised. <laughs> Sometimes the former attorney in me just comes roaring out. I'm kidding. But if you like, you can print your name somewhere on the right side if you want that added accountability. And some of you may want that and may need it. And don't worry, we won't hunt you down or anything, even if you end up on a deserted island. <laughs> 
You can hand in that right portion of the card with or without your name anytime in any way. The offering plate by mail, you can drop it by the church office, you can drop it from a plane, any way you want, any time. But we've specially designated September 25 as Harvest Sunday, the last or official day to hand in these cards. We want to give you some time to go to God with this. But on the 25th, we'll do something special as the last of the cards come in. We're planning that day um, to watch the Broncos game that morning. It's an early start at 11, so I'm going to hit 10.55, so help me God. And he'll need to for me to hit that. <laughs> we'll watch the Broncos game downstairs following the service, complete with Mark Kirsting's homemade chili for everyone. It doesn't get better than that. So we'll celebrate the harvest of these cards that same day, preferably before the game ends in case the Broncos lose and everyone's mad and doesn't want to give anything. <laughs> when you came in today, when you came in today, you were given a replica of a widow's mite. Did you get one? You've got the Roman version. There's a Roman version and there's a Greek version, which is on the screen. So the stamping is a little bit different. There's a debate. Did she have the Roman or the Greek version? We don't know. But it was a lot like this. It's one of those takeaways that I like to give you from time to time to, to put on your nightstand or to keep in your pocket along with your other coins. Don't try to spend them. They won't get very far. And no fair putting these in the offering plate instead of... <laughs> Make sure your kids get one and let them hold it. Tell them the story about the poor widow. Maybe you have that mite around when you're wrestling with your card. So that's the plan. Sounds more complicated than it is because I have a gift for making things seem more complicated than they are. So if I've confused you, find an elder, find me, find a pastor. We'll try and explain it better. Remember, God doesn't care about the money. He cares about our hearts because he loves us and he knows what's best for us. And so out of that love and knowing what's best for us, he gives us guidelines for living. Give at least 10% away, he urges, in the money area. This will help you protect your hearts from making money your love rather than me. This will help nurture your hearts more and more into a heart like the heart of that poor widow who gave all she had and into the heart of our Savior Jesus Christ who soon after gave all he had. And when we give, when we give out of love for God and others, I believe we still today give Jesus yet another opportunity to call his disciples over and to share with them his delight. His delight in those who are showing that they love God with all their heart, all their soul, all their mind, and all their hearts. Look, look, guys, look what he's giving. Look what she gave. And if the heart is there, if the heart is there, his excitement is the same whether it's two mites or two million. His delight is the same 
over any trusting, giving heart of his people. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you've blessed us with so much. Thank you. Thank you for giving us what we need. Help us, Father. Help us to never stray from just how much it is that we need you most of all. Father, as we take these cards and consider what we'll give for the remainder of the year to our church, I'd ask that you give us discernment and guidance. I'd ask that it be a time where husband and wives can come together and can come together to talk about it lovingly with each other and in prayer before you. I ask that it would deepen us. I ask that even the practice in doing this and thinking about it, Father, would nurture our hearts even more into the heart of that poor widow and into the heart of your precious Son who gave it all. I ask this in his name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Would you stand, please, for God's benediction this morning? Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, I tell you the truth. This poor widow put in more in the, has put more in the temple treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. Oh, may our hearts, West Bowles, brothers and sisters, be the same as the giving heart of that poor widow. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Have a great Labor Day weekend. Thanks for spending it with us this morning. God bless you all.